0: You know, I'm never going to forget and don't, and I never get tired of talking about the morning that Denise and I gave our lives to Jesus Christ. It was April 3rd, 1977, and that means in just about a month, we're coming up on our 46th spiritual birthday. It's kind of hard to believe that many years has gone by. But one of the reasons why that is so important to me, even still, is because that morning has served as an anchor for me. You know, those times when life has gotten really challenging and difficult, those seasons that I went through questions and doubts, that moment, that experience was always like an anchor that just brought me back to a solid place in remembering the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. Because even though I've gone through those times, there's never been a doubt that the Lord did a work in my heart that the morning. Because the Lord entered my heart. And he has been involved in this transformational process in my life ever since. Now part of the the joy that I had that morning, and I can remember this absolutely overwhelming sense of joy when I put my trust in Jesus Christ. It was knowing that I no longer had to try to earn God's favor. Now I had been involved in a church tradition that basically taught that you just had to be good enough. You had to be faithful enough to church. You had to attend. You had to do the right things. And if you did that, you would earn the grace of God. And maybe, maybe you would make it when the time came. But I had reached the same conclusion at an early stage in my life, the same conclusion that Martin Luther did, and that on my best day, my best effort was still not enough. But when the Holy Spirit opened my mind that morning and gave me understanding of the gospel, and when I came to the point that I realized that the only thing I could bring to the table was faith, Jesus Christ provided everything else. He provided the forgiveness of sin from the cross. He provided everlasting life through his resurrection. And so I came to that exchange with Jesus with my faith. And then Jesus Christ gave everything else that was necessary for me to be forgiven and brought into that right relationship with the Lord. And so that brought joy. I trust that you've had that time in your life. That time when you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. As we saw last week, Sometimes, like Denise and I, and with Martin Luther, and as we saw with the Apostle Paul, that was a moment in time, very definitive. For a lot of other people, it's more of an awareness that grows over time, and the Apostle Peter is a great example of that. But the important thing is that as you sit here this morning, that you have that rock solid assurance that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior, And that your salvation wholly rests in what Jesus did at the cross and what he's provided through his resurrection. As we saw last week, Paul had that life-changing moment on the road to Damascus. And he, in a moment in time, he went from this prideful self-righteousness to a simple faith in Jesus. And he described what took place in his heart Here in Philippians 3, and we looked at these verses last week, starting in verse 7, and he wrote, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ." The righteousness from God that depends on faith. But as you get to that moment, as we're going to see and see as we go into the next verses, there's like this unasked question that Paul begins to answer. And that is the question okay, Paul, we hear you about your conversion, but what now? having gained Christ and having gained his righteousness and now that you're in a right relationship with God that impacts your life both now and for eternity and eternity what's next is that it i mean if you've got all that through your faith in Christ then what more is there well paul begins to answer that question as we looked in verses 10 through 16 because there is a next there is a after that moment after that time of awareness in which you know you've got this relationship with Jesus Christ, there is indeed a now what? <laughs> there is something more to come. And he says, in verse, uh, starting in verse 10, Paul says, That I may know him, that is Jesus, in the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, attained you know as he answers this question of having gained christ and his righteousness what happens now paul basically says this i now make it my passionate pursuit to grow in my relationship with jesus i want to know him more i want to experience him more fully and i want to become like him step by step over time That's what's next. Now Paul, like a lot of men, apparently loves sports. Um, He often used sports to describe what it was like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He does boxing, and then the overall Olympic Games in 1 Corinthians. He talks about grappling and wrestling in the book of Ephesians. But by far, his favorite sports analogy was a foot race or a marathon to be exact and that's what Paul is using here he's saying that living out our faith with Jesus Christ is like running a marathon it's like running a marathon it's it's going to take dedication it's going to take effort it's going to take focus and it is accomplished one step at a time over time now I have to admit I never have run a marathon. The longest race I ran as a high schooler was um, cross-country was a little over two and a half miles. But I can say as you did your race you did not think of the two and a half miles. You just thought about the next step and the next phase of your race. Because if you thought about the whole race you'd say uh-uh and walk away. It has to be even more like that for a marathon. And so Paul is wants us to understand as we go through this passage that it's a step at a time. It's a Season at a time. It's a spiritual phase and spiritual layer of growth at a time, but it's done over a lifetime. And Paul tells us that now that we have the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior, now it's time to passionately pursue growing in our relationship with Him. And He starts with this passionate desire to grow in Jesus. That's the pursuit, that's the goal, that's the race, if you will, that He's running. He's running a race to grow in, 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 in Christ-likeness, and he's doing it passionately. Look again at verse 10. And it's Paul writes, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Paul says, I want to experience the power of God like Jesus did in his resurrection. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that I want to experience in my life. Now the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the greatest display of divine power that we see in the New Testament. It displayed the fact that Jesus Christ has authority over all physical and spiritual realms, but more importantly than that, it displayed the fact that Jesus Christ has total authority over our three great enemies. And that is the enemy of sin, The enemy is Satan and the enemy of death. And Jesus Christ defeated all three of those enemies through the cross and through his resurrection so that Satan, sin, and death has no hold on us anymore as believers. And we know from the New Testament that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now resides in every single believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to understand God's truth and then guides us in living out that truth in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that provides God's enabling grace to become far more than anything we can imagine in and of ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit who's given us gifts and abilities to be used in serving others, especially within the church family. It's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction when we do choose to sin and then leads us back into a path of obedience. It's the Holy Spirit who encourages us when we are discouraged. He prays for us when we don't know what to say, and He reminds us that we are God's child when we need to be held with assurance. And it's the Holy Spirit who marks us as God's own possession, assuring us that our relationship with God, the Father, is secure, and it lasts forever. And Paul says, I want to know and experience this power more and more in my life. Not only that, Paul recognizes, if you and I are going to experience this resurrection power of Christ through the Holy Spirit, our old life needs to be crucified and buried. Self needs to be crucified and buried so that there is space for the, minis- for the grace of God through the Holy Spirit to enter into that void and then begin to exercise its life-changing power in us. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3 where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself from me. And so I want to experience the power of God. The same resurrection power that Jesus did when he rose from the dead. Now this is the positive side of the race. (laughs) This is, you know, this is where you're either on a flat or you're kind of going downhill a little bit. And Paul now moves on to what's a much more challenging part of the race because the next thing he says he wants to experience is, I want to grow through suffering like Jesus grew through his suffering. I want, to go through su- I want to grow through suffering like Jesus grew through his suffering. Continuing in verse 10, and may share, in his, may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to grow through suffering, just like Jesus grew through his suffering. You know, this is the uphill part of the course. I once served with a, uh, another pastor on staff, and we were talking about this portion of Scripture, and he said, you know what? I, I pray with pleasure to know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure I even want to pray to share in his sufferings. He was being honest. And quite honestly, there are plenty of times when I would agree with him. It's a lot easier to pray for the power of God than it is for the grace of God to go through suffering and to grow through the process. But that's what Paul does here. And it's important that we understand that Jesus felt life just like we do, just without our sinful reactions. Jesus Christ experienced life just like you and I do, just without the sinful reactions we tend to have. And so when Jesus Christ experienced being rejected by the very people he had come to save, it hurt. When Jesus Christ saw the devastating effect of sin on the people that he cared about, he wept. When Jesus Christ saw the shallowness of his disciples' faith over and over again during those three years, he got frustrated. When Jesus Christ was facing the looming cross and all that it held for him, he experienced fear. When Jesus Christ walked out into the courtyard after facing the Sanhedrin and being condemned to death and heard the voice of Peter denying him, he was disappointed. And when Jesus felt the devastating effect of the scourging followed by the nails piercing his flesh, he experienced excruciating pain. And when the Father withdrew his presence from Jesus as he bore the punishment of our sins on the cross, he felt abandoned. Jesus Christ feels life, felt life, just like we feel life, minus the sinful reactions. And in some fashion that I do not understand, we're told in Scripture that in his humanity, Jesus Christ grew through those experiences. He matured through those experiences. In the book of Hebrews chapter 5, it says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. I do not know how Christ, the God-man, matured, but he did. And a lot of his maturing came through those suffering times. Paul learned that in his own life. And, for, and 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and if you want to turn back there, 2 Corinthians 12, we'll be back in Philippians in a minute, so you might want to stick a finger there. Well-known portion of Scripture, Paul um, has, is, is sharing that God, on top of all the revelation God has given him that we know is Scripture, God also gave him the opportunity to get a glimpse of heaven. And then in verse 7 he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of all these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. but he, and, that, and it's important to understand, this was some sort of physical hindrance in his life that was ha- uh, hindering Paul from life and ministry. It is felt by many Bible scholars that as he got later in life, Paul went blind. But there was some physical situation that uh, arose in his life that made it more difficult and limiting for him to be able to do his ministry. And that's, why, that's what he's praying about here. Verse 9, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, my, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so as we come back to Philippians, it's important that when Paul goes, I, that my share in his sufferings become like him in his death, he's not, that's just not gibberish or hyperbole. That's what, That Paul is living that out. Because Corinthians was written well before Philippians. And so Paul goes, Lord, grow me through my suffering. Grow me through the hard times, the challenging times. And then he talks about the finish line. The next thing he says about this race is, I want to be with Jesus in his glory forever. I want to be with Jesus in his glory forever. You know, having experienced all the transformation that happens through resurrection power and all the growth that happens through the suffering that is a part of every life, at the end of the day, what I'm really running for is to be with Jesus in his glory forever. He says in verse 11 that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's the finish line. (laughs) Whether it's through death or Jesus' return, there's going to be that moment for every believer that we see his face As he draws us into his presence forever, and as Paul is running this race, he's got his sight set on that finish line. Because when he crosses the finish line, the first face he sees is Jesus, and Paul says that keeps me going. That keeps me going. In the Greek here, it's not that Paul is expressing doubt. The idea in the Greek is he's basically saying, the paraphrase, I have to pinch myself because I can't believe this is true. I can't believe it's true, but it is. The day will come when I will see and be with Jesus in his glory forever. And so he says, here's the race. It's being transformed by the resurrection power of God. It's growing through life, suffering and challenges like Jesus did in his life. And it's looking forward to that moment when I will be with Jesus in his glory. That's the race we run. And then Paul decides to talk to us about, I'm sorry, Paul describes how he's running that spiritual race. How do you run the race? That's the race we run, but how do you run it? How do you run it? And he starts talking about that in verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul's determined to run this race well, and so the first thing he says is I run with determination to become like Jesus Christ. I'm running with determination to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, Paul exercises great awareness here. Because he's talking about what he said up there with verse 10. The fact that, you know what, when you talk about resurrection power, you talk about growing through suffering, That has, I, I, I'm not perfect yet. <laughs> I have not arrived. I haven't seen the face of Jesus yet, so I'm still living. <laughs> and so with those two things in mind, I keep running. This idea of perfect means to attain perfection, but it also means to reach a final destination. And both are in play here, so Paul's saying, I'm not perfect yet, and I certainly haven't reached my final destination, so I keep running hard. I keep running hard. He's making a maximum effort to keep moving forward, and that phrase, I press on, means to move forward or to run forward with maximum effort. It kind of pictures that runner that is straining with every ounce of energy, all the muscles going to get maximum um, effect, to be able to not only finish a race, but with the goal of winning it. And you're leaving nothing out there. Everything is on the table. Straining forward as hard as you can. And Paul is saying, I'm making this maximum effort to keep growing in Christ. Experiencing his resurrection power, growing through my suffering, focused on Jesus, I just keep running that race. And he says he's doing this because Jesus has made me his own, which phrase simply means, since Jesus has made me his own through saving faith and my salvation, now I dedicate myself to becoming more and more like him. Jesus owns me. He's my savior, so I'm dedicated to becoming like him. You know, if I want to excel in something, it takes a lot more than a dream, doesn't it? Takes maximum effort. I can sit around and dream about becoming something or doing something or playing something or accomplishing something all day long. I can have the best plan in the world, but without effort, none of it comes to pass. So if I decide I want to excel in a sport, the key to success is dedication and focus on that sport. If I want to excel in a, in, in, as a musician, then the key to success is dedication and focus on that instrument, on my voice. If I want to excel in my career or in the chosen field that I'm in, the key to success is what? Dedication and focus. Paul's simply saying here, the thing I've decided to do is become like Jesus. And so I am dedicated and focused on growing in my spiritual life. Another thing about the race is Paul says, I learn from the past, but I focus on the future. I learn from the past, but I focus on the future. Look with me on verse 13. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Paul says, I learn from the past, but I don't live there. I focus on moving forward into the future. Because maximum effort without focused concentration in a goal that we're aiming for is pretty useless. (laughs) You can run as hard as you want. You're not going to accomplish anything if you're running in the wrong direction. And so Paul's got this target that he's running for in this maximum effort. And so he doesn't look back. He looks forward. It's really hard to drive a car if your eyes are in the rear view mirror. If you're going to drive a car forward, you better be looking through the windshield. He starts this with brothers, and that's pretty cool because what Paul does is, up to this point, he's got this image of this runner just in its maximum effort, and that word brother, he dials it all back. He dials back the intensity because it's a word that carries gentleness and affection. It's like Paul takes a breath, Walks up, puts their arm around the shoulder of the Philippians, and starts talking in this more quiet, encouraging voice. And he says, Okay, guys, this is the thing. I've not arrived yet. I'm not going to arrive this of de- on the side of death. But there is one thing I make sure that I always do, and there's one thing you need to make sure that you always do. Don't live in the past. Focus on the future. You can learn from the past, but it's a bad place to live. Focus and move to the future, to what is next. You know, living in the past is going to do one of three things to us. If God has blessed us with accomplishments that are above the norm, and that's what we're living in, you're going to be prideful. If you feel satisfied with the past and you feel like you've arrived in some fashion or accomplished everything you needed to accomplish, you're going to be complacent. And if you've experienced failures and disappointments in your life or if things in your life have changed in the way that you look back and goes, those are the good old days. Man, I'd like to be back there again. You're going to get discouraged. Because you do understand you can't go back, Right? And you do understand the glory days were very much like today, but you don't remember all the bad parts. (laughs) Now you take what you've learned about God and about yourself and about life, but now you take all that you've learned and you focus on taking the next step forward with the Lord towards Jesus in Christlikeness. Because no matter what our age, there's always a next step. And there will always be a next step until you step into the presence of Jesus. You know, the transition team has been doing this for Grace Bible Church over these last few weeks. We've been meeting and we've been taking a look back over the 65-year history of Grace Bible Church. We've been asking the Lord to show us what are the lessons that we can learn? What are the strengths that are here that we can build on? What are the things that need to be addressed if we are going to be prepared for what you have next and that part's done we're done looking back and all of that has been put together into a church assessment report but within that report you pivot and you look ahead and so as we look ahead we are looking and asking god lord what does your future look like for grace bible church And then what do we do to align ourselves in that direction? So that aligning ourselves to where God has taken this church, we're able to then focus all of our attention and all of our efforts in that one direction together. And that's everything Paul's talking about here. Running hard together in the right direction toward what God has laid out. That report, uh, uh, the transition team has already gone through the first draft of that report. We're getting ready to finalize that report and then it will go to the official board and that'll probably happen pretty soon. And then after that, it'll come to you, the congregation. But that assessment report's going to do everything we just talked about here. We're going to look back to learn, but then we're going to focus on the future, Ooh. what comes next. Then Paul says... A third thing in this passage is that God calls out and then encourages us. God calls out and he encourages us in this race. Verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's that word press towards, the same word, except in the tense in this verse. It carries the idea of this is a continuous effort in the same direction over time. So this Maximum effort in the right direction over time. And that prize, as we've already said, is Christlikeness. The prize is knowing Jesus more intimately. It's experiencing his power more fully. It's growing through life's trials and challenges to become more like him. And then we get to this really neat phrase. And there's this upward call of God. This is the voice of God saying, keep on running. I'm waiting for you at the finish line. When I ran track and field, there was a coach that would always be at a certain part of the track, and especially in large races like the year that I was running with the goal of making states, and that meant I had the place in the top five in the regional track meet, running against 25 other people to get five spots. And every time I came around the track that day, he would do two things. He would cheer me on, and then as I came by, he'd just quietly tell me how many people were in front of me. Didn't tell me out loud, because he didn't want people in front of me to know he was telling me. And as I came around with three laps to go, there were seven, eight, nine guys in front of me. Passed a couple of them, came around two laps to go. I was now in sixth place. Needed to get up one more spot. Came around to the last lap. I passed that guy, and he goes five and then I noticed he looked at his stopwatch and he took off. As I came around for the last lap, he was waiting for me at the, stu- at the finish line. He's got his stopwatch like this. He's jumping up and down and he's waving his hand like this. And I'm thinking, I'm locked. I, there's nobody around me. What's he doing? But I said, okay. And I had the best kick in my whole career came across the finish line, literally took four steps to make sure I landed in the grass and not on the track, went sprawling out on my face because I couldn't move anymore, and he came running up, and he's pounding me on the back, and he says, great job, you did it. And I said, yeah, I placed for states. He said, no, you just set the school record for the two-mile. You see, as I came around with that last lap, he looked at his stopwatch and went, oh, wow. He knew I could accomplish something that I did not yet know I could. And he cheered me on. God knows everything he wants to do in your life. From now until you see him. And he cheers you on because he sees what you can't yet. And he says, keep running hard. I'll see you at the finish line. I love the fact that the first time Jesus meets this Rough, tough, coarse, probably blue language speaking fisherman named Simon. And he go, smiles and says, No, you're going to be Peter. You're going to be the first leader in my church. He saw what Peter was going to be four years later. He does the same in our lives. Make sure you hear the voice of God calling you. Keep running. Keep going. I'm waiting for you at the finish line. And you have no idea what I'm going to do in your life between now and then. You know, we're all at different places in our race with Jesus, aren't we? Paul knows that. He starts talking about that in verse 15. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You know, in any church, including Grace Bible Church, you and I are at different levels of maturity. Here's an important thing to, to understand. There's the word spiritual in, the, in spirituality, and there's the word maturity. Spirituality is how passionate you are about the lord at any moment in time maturity is how far down the road you've gone in becoming like jesus you can be spiritual without yet being mature you can be mature but in a moment not spiritual paul's talking about bringing the two together having this passion to grow in the lord and understanding the next step he wants to take you in maturity He's saying some of us are mature. They're taking advanced steps in their faith with the Lord. But he says some of you, you're not ready for that yet. But God still has a step for you too. When he says in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we've attained, it's understand where you are in the journey, in the race, in your walk with the Lord, in your level of maturity, in the level of Christ-likeness in your life, and then ask God, Lord, what's the next step for me? What's the next step of growth for me? And then our responsibility to each other is to encourage each one of us to take the step that God has for that person, that individual. And we just, like God at the finish line, we cheer each other on. But we're at different places. Each one of us has a unique next step. And we encourage each other to keep taking the step. Know where you are but then go to the next step. Three thoughts to leave with you before we close here this morning. Paul really wants us to receive this instruction as coming with grace and gentleness. These words are meant to encourage us. They're meant to draw us into this race. Not to kind of you know beat us into it, but to draw us into it. And to say, keep running steady, keep running with a determined pace, and keep running towards Jesus. Secondly, we start where we are now, and then we take steps forward in the process. Here's the thing, and I've already mentioned it, but I'll say it again. God always sees you for what you can be, not where you are. God sees you for who you can be, not where you are like Peter, he knows what can happen if you will just let him do his work in your life. And the third thing is we do this all in real life, in real time, because daily life is where God meets us. He doesn't just meet us here on Sunday morning for a sermon. God has an appointment to meet you tomorrow morning before you go to work, before you go to school before you go out and whatever you do if you're retired, before you interact with your spouse, before you interact with your children, before you interact with your grandchildren, before you have that conversation with a neighbor, he's got an appointment with you to say, okay, let's talk about the next step I have for you today in your walk with my son and how that gets lived out in just our daily lives. Because in my daily life, I can know Jesus more intimately. In my daily life, I can experience his resurrection power. In my daily life, I can grow through the suffering and challenges that come my way. And in my daily life, I'm anticipating the moment that I'm going to run right into the presence of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the race that you've called us to. This race to run towards jesus and at the same time become more and more like jesus father i just pray for encouragement this morning i pray that every single one of us can hear that encouraging voice of not only paul but of you calling us to this upward call calling us to this time of growth and calling us to the finish line when we will be with you and see jesus and what a wonderful moment that's going to be May we be encouraged, Lord, by what we are about to experience as we go across that finish line and fuel us for the race that we're in today. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.